He was an American guy starting an English program. And I was I was seeing stars. And I was so excited to work with this guy. And she didn't like him. And uh, I really regret it because we lost a lot of money on that deal. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best ever team and patch of land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173 will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately. Whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and I'm with today's guest, Mark Schaefer. Hi, Mark. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? Doing well, and happy birthday. Today is Mark's 38th birthday, so happy birthday, Mark, first and foremost. Thank you, Joe. Having a great day. We were supposed to have this conversation about a week ago, and then I'm thinking he made up the excuse. At the time, he told me he had had to pick up his kids, but I'm thinking he made it up because he wanted to really have the interview on his birthday. I think there was some uh, subtle brain games going on uh, to pick up the kids. So I got a call 15 minutes before our interview. Uh, do you know you're supposed to uh, pick up your kids today? Oops. Thank you for uh, your flexibility, Joe. Well, I'm just disappointed you don't have your priorities in order. I mean, clearly this is more important than your kids. I mean, come on, Mark. <laughs> right, right. Your wife would totally agree. <laughs> the thought of them sitting on the sidewalk. Where's dad? <laughs> Well, I am glad that we finally connected on your birthday. A little bit about Mark. Mark purchased five turnkey properties starting in 2010 and currently owns 10 units. So he has more units than children. He bought all of them while living in China. That's interesting, right? Yeah. And he is in Madison, Wisconsin. You can kind of tell from his accent. At least I picked up on that a little bit. And he's at Midwest Equity Partner. Um, and obviously, we already talked about the interesting non-real estate related fact. It's his 38th birthday, for goodness sake. With that being said, Mark, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Well, thanks a lot, Joe. I am from the Midwest, and so occasionally I do have a bit of an accent, and I will try to tone that down for you. <laughs> I like it. Live it up. <laughs> well, don't you know? Well, guys, <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin. No, I'll try to tone it down. Anyway, so I got my start in 2009. My brother and sister-in-law were buying fourplexes in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we were there visiting and this was right after the financial crisis hit and we're kind of looking at them and we're thinking, hmm, this is a great time to buy. Prices are far lower and everything you hear about investing is you sell high and buy low. And we were looking at our properties in China and realizing those had grown a lot in value. And so they were high and we thought, hmm, this would be a good time to sell those high value properties and buy low in the States. So we sold our first and, uh, or sorry, sold our main, our primary home. And then we, uh, we, we did the same thing that everybody does on, uh, in real estate. We paid too much for our first uh, project. We bought a $50,000 duplex, which was a good price, actually. 
but we spent far too much on the rehab. We put in about a hundred thousand into this rehab. And since then it's, it's been a decent investment, but definitely not uh, what it could have been. So after that, I kind of learned my lesson and, uh, started doing some other things. Uh, our realtor recommended us working with a guy named Nate Armstrong out of uh, the Twin Cities. And uh, he was doing flips at the time. So we started uh, funding his flips and splitting the profits. And those were going quite well until they didn't. <laughs> so in 2010, as you may remember, the market was kind of bumping up and down. Uh, it wasn't a straight line. And so we got caught on a, down, a downturn. And uh, kind of came to a tough, tough spot there. Uh, we, we had this choice of selling at a loss. Um, although Nate, to his credit, said, uh, hey, I'll absorb the losses for you. My bad kind of a thing. But I like Nate. I'd been working with him on a few projects by then, and I didn't really want to stick it to him. Is that the word? I don't know. Since living in China, sometimes I, I doubt my English skills. <laughs> um, so, but the other option was just to hold on to it and put a renter in there. And so we went with that. So I still own that house now, and uh, it's been doing okay. Uh, definitely not our, our best cash-flowing property, but uh, still in the black zone. Um, after that, we decided to start I, – I grew a lot in my respect for Nate, and so I started buying turnkeys from him for buy and hold. And uh, those have been great. Uh, our best one was uh, $65,000 for a duplex that rents for $1,600. Um, so very, very pleased with these. And uh, they've been going well for the last two years, I think on average about 9.5%, not including appreciation, which has also been very good uh, in Minnesota. And then uh, we were kind of getting burned out from China. It's, we'd been there for 14 years, and uh, I have four kids, as, as uh, we were mentioning, and my wife and I and kids were kind of feeling like it was time to head back. So we moved back to Wisconsin. If you can imagine anywhere in the world where you'd rather be, obviously Wisconsin is it. And so we moved back to Madison, where we had met. We went to school at UW-Madison. And uh, I was looking for a job, and uh, Nate was in Milwaukee. That's kind of where they're focusing now on their uh, investments. And so he was coming through Madison on his way back up to Minnesota and just mentioned uh, my situation. He's like, hey, why don't you come work for me? You, you've been investing in these products. You know what they're about. You're, you're, you're into it. So I think you'd be great at it. And uh, a couple months later, I... I got started doing that. So it's been fun. My day job is something I'm passionate about. And uh, outside of that, I still love discussing real estate investing, especially on bigger pockets and listening to podcasts. Uh, best real estate investing advice ever is great. Especially enjoyed the one with uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Been learning a lot. It's been really, really fun with this new job. What do you do specifically for Midwest Equity Partner? So I'm investor relations, so I get to talk to people, which is something I had been doing in China for 14 years, except now I can do it in English, which is a lot easier for me. <laughs> How do you answer the question, what are the projected returns going to be for this property in Chinese? Projected returns? I have never had to say that before. Uh, you should be able to earn about 12% on this property. Oh, I'm digging this so much. I just <laughs> that we're going to come back to this whole Chinese thing, talking in Chinese in a little bit. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about investor relations conversations. That's a very interesting role. 
because at least for myself, you know, somebody who raises money and for anybody out there, any best ever listener out there who's looking to bring money partners to the table, um, investor relations is a skill set we have to master. What are some things you've learned, maybe some challenges that you've come across in investor relations, how you've handled them, lessons that you've learned? Well, my biggest issue now is I'm talking with a lot of pretty savvy investors who know more than I do. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's a huge learning curve. I, I thought I knew a bit about real estate investing, but um, I'm having to do a lot of research on questions and uh, I'm trying to avoid the, uh, the making up an answer on the spot kind of a thing. <laughs> so uh, it's, been, it's been really good. I think the biggest thing is when you're honest with people, honest about the things you don't know. I think that builds a lot of trust. And with a lot of real estate investing, we're seeing a lot of people wanting to buy out of area, especially in the Midwest. There's great cash flowing properties, but not a lot of cash to buy them. And so a lot of our clients are from the coast, especially California. And so how do you connect? How do you make that connection? The money with the investment? Well, it's relationships. In Chinese, you'd say guanxi. It's super, super important. But how do you build Guanxi with somebody you met on the internet? <laughs> that's that's a tough question. So I, I've been really focusing on making phone calls and um, a lot of just real honest communication. So it's it's a great skill to learn, and I I'm far from mastering it. What are some questions that out of state investors ask that you're like, huh? That is a good question. Let me get back to you. I was just asked about uh, vacancy rates in Milwaukee, which is so embarrassing because that's where I primarily sell. And I was shocked that I hadn't been asked that question before and I had to look it up. So so that's a good question. Um, the other the other really tough one is people asking, so what are the areas of Milwaukee to avoid? And that's another one where it's just like, man, you just got to go block by block. It's it's so complicated. There, there isn't the Cliff Notes version for that. So I recommend people coming with me on tour and just looking at the neighborhoods that we're in and answering that question themselves. I think Trulia is another great place to look that can give you an idea of crime rates. There's lots of other great um, resources on the web, but seeing it for yourself is probably the best way. When an investor is coming into Milwaukee, what are some of the things or the desirable aspects of Milwaukee as a market that you talk to them about? This comes with the honesty part. One of the things I love about Milwaukee is it's not booming. So a lot of uh, a lot of the things you hear on uh, discussions about real estate investing, people are like, "Oh, you know, this new market—they've got uh, you know these great returns, huge population growth, uh, um, amazing unemployment—but then the prices are really high." And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got very dysfunctional cities, maybe negative population growth, terrible unemployment, and the prices are low. Milwaukee's in the middle. Milwaukee's growing. Uh, it's a great city. It doesn't have a lot of dysfunction, but it's not booming. The prices are still good. So that's what I've been talking about. It's kind of, I know it's a little unsexy to say that, but uh, it's, it's a great city to invest. And honestly, there are a lot of great cities to invest in. I, you know, I hear about Indianapolis and Memphis and all, all kinds of other uh, cities that are popular with cash flow, which is what we're about. And honestly, we're about the same. We, I think we do a better job of rehabs and I think we're a great company, but you know, the, the returns are they're pretty easy to find. I was talking to someone. He is uh, based in Phoenix. And for loyal best ever listeners, you'll, you'll know who I'm talking about. His name escapes me right now. But he's based in Phoenix and he invests in Phoenix and Milwaukee. He talks about the difference in rehabs between Phoenix and, and Milwaukee. Phoenix, 
you pay a lot more for the property, but then you don't have to do as much to flip it. Whereas Milwaukee, you pay a lot less, but you have to put in a lot more money to get it up to where it needs to be. Is that what you're finding in Milwaukee as well? It depends on what kind of landlord you are and what neighborhood you're in. We prefer B neighborhoods that are a good mix of solid renters, solid tenants, good ROIs though. When you're in a very low neighborhood, not necessarily war zone, but a lower end neighborhood, it's hard to do a high quality rehab and still get all your cash back in equity. When you're in a very high end neighborhood, you can leverage that rehab. So you're putting in, say, 40000 but you're earning, uh, let's say you're all in for 100 maybe half of that is uh, rehab. Well, you could produce a house that's selling for 130 140 So your, your, your rehab is leveraging. It's, it's great for a flip. We're in, we tend to do our rentals, our turnkey rentals in B neighborhoods that we can do a really solid rehab. We can change all the outlets. We can put in a new furnace if it's not even, we, <laughs> this is the thing that shocked me. Uh, our current rehab uh, system is we're putting in new furnaces, new water heaters, new roofs even in places where those things are still functioning. They might have a few years more in them, but we're going to go ahead and replace that. Our whole goal is to be drama-free. So we're doing a very high-end rehab uh, for usually 40 to 50, sometimes 30, and uh, we can get our money back out of that. So in those neighborhoods, it's a, roughly a one-to-one. So you put in 40K in a rehab and you'll get 40 more value in it. So um, a typical deal would look like, say, 30 for the price and then another 30 for the rehab. So around the 60K range is, is where we tend to sell. And those are renting for about 900, 900 to 1,000 a month. What is that on the 2% rule? 900 divided by 60? So we're looking at between 1.6 and 1.8 in general yep. for a single family. Okay. Yeah, that would be 1.5, but even, even better, 1.6 and 1.8 would be good. Okay. And when you researched those vacancy rates, what were they in Milwaukee? Oh, dang it. Why did you ask me that? Ah, uh, you broke. 4.5, if I remember right. I just, you okay. know, this was yesterday for all. Joe, gosh, <laughs> set me up for failure. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. Well, y- you know what? I think we can roll with 4.5. I'm good with that if, if that's what your gut's saying. <laughs> that is what my gut's saying. I do remember it was 2% below average for the U.S., though. So I thought that was pretty good. All right, Mark, this is the point of the show where I ask, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? However, we're going to do it differently on this episode. We're breaking new ground. You're going to ask yourself, you're going to say, Mark, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? But you're going to do it in Chinese and then you can answer it in English. All right, Mark, what's so my answer would be, have an identity outside of my performance in real estate. I know that's kind of a strange answer, and it's not even in Chinese. But what I mean by that is when your identity is outside of your performance, you've got two things going for you. When you're successful, um, you lose the pride. You realize that it's not about you. Your identity is not awesome just because you made a lot of money. Uh, on the flip side, when you fail, you can take an honest look at your failures and learn from them. You don't quit. It doesn't rule you. Uh, one bad real estate investing decision doesn't end your value as a person. So that's my best advice. How do you separate your identity from real estate? Especially you know, as I'm thinking about 
people I know and my even myself, I live and breathe this stuff. It's important to have balance, completely agree. But how do you, and I've heard this before, uh, and it was very interesting. Uh, a woman out of Atlanta mentioned this very similar advice, and I love it. But how do you do it? How do you practically separate yourself from real estate, from your identity? Well, for me, it took a lot of thought. And I had, I'm a very idealistic person. I didn't go to China for making money or for whatever. I was a missionary in China. And so my whole identity is based on a different set of values than real estate investing. And so to be quite honest with you, one of the hardest questions I had to answer when I was asked to work for Midwest Equity Partner was why? And it really punched me in the gut because I realized, like, what is my calling? That's the question that I'm hearing is, what is my calling? And I'm like, whoa, this is, this is a tough one. And I realized that my calling wasn't necessarily real estate. Uh, my calling was a relationship. But real estate is a way to live out other forms of my calling. And so and this kind of ties into a little bit. I know we're kind of jumping ahead to um, our uh, success habit. That's the word I'm looking for. So. When I was listening to the Robert Kiyosaki interview that you did a couple weeks ago, it really connected with me. He talked about how each morning he spends time meditating and thinking about his day. And he, he talked about it in terms of building capacity, like instead of going from, say, a quart jug, he said, you go to a gallon jug, you can handle more in a day. And that's something that those that picture is something that totally resonated with me. So I spend my first hour of the day from 5 to 6 a.m. thinking about anything but real estate. And Joe, it's really stinking hard to not think about real estate for an hour. I'm so into this stuff. Like my brain is just, it's just analyzing all the time, trying to put a deal together. Oh, do you remember to email so-and-so or call so-and-so or whatever? And it, it's so hard to just stop that for an hour a day and, and think, pray and read. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what I'm about. Like thinking deeply about the bigger issues in life, I guess. Going back to some of the real estate stuff, whenever you're mentioning you've got property, you were in China, but you're buying in the United States. And then you also purchased in China, right? Right. Real quick, what's the difference between purchasing in China and purchasing in the US as far as the process goes? The process, okay, first of all, I'm, I'm going to add a question. It's right now, it's completely ironic. Right now, I sell cash flow. All my deals are very cheap with high cash flow. In China, it's the complete opposite. We're looking at, so the last apartment we lived in, we spent about 1100 a month U.S. Uh, to rent a huge place. It was kind of ugly place, but it was, it was decent for our family of six. 1100 a month, that place would sell for about a million dollars. So we're looking at close to a thousand to one price to monthly rent. Wow. <laughs> so it's a very, very different situation. So that's, what is that, a point, point oh one or whatever. So that's the big thing. As far as the, the, the process, I mean, I could literally write a book on the adventure of being a foreigner and buying in China. For one thing, in Beijing, I think this is true of much of China, we don't build with uh, aluminum and wood. It's all cement. And so you buy a cement shell. They call it a malpifong, if you're curious. And you pay for that. So one of the – I didn't even think this question was coming. But So one of the things he, you see there is the buyer pays all the taxes – that the owner owes, and they usually pay with cash. We did get a, uh, a loan, which is unique. So you do that, and then you have to go to take out all the, um, the finishing stuff. So all your fixtures, your, your uh, counters, your sinks, everything. 
And uh, it's quite a process. It, it was a, really a full-time job for a while, and I had to learn a lot of new vocabulary. So it's um, – oh, another thing is uh, you don't have a seller's agent and buyer's agent. You just have one agent. So they have a very terrible reputation of saying whatever they think they need to say to get you to, to get a deal to come together. So you never quite know who's, whose side they're playing at the time. So a lot of big differences. Why is there such a discrepancy between – the rent and the purchase price mean 1100 to rent out a million dollar place? Well, so there's the one child policy. So say you're a guy, just imagine that Joe, say you're a guy in China and you've got your parents who want you to get married. And then you've got your parents, parents, two sets of parents. And so you've got all these grandparents and they want Joe to get married. Well, how does Joe get married when there's 100 guys for every 120 girls? You get Joe a house. That's how you get Joe married. And so there's this huge push to own a house, especially for um, sons. And so you've got a lot of people pooling resources to buy, and it has to be buying. Renting is seen as a very uh, low and risky thing. So you have to buy. And so it's just it's distorted the market. And you have another issue with the stock market's very immature, very unregulated, and people don't trust it. And the banks are paying less than inflation uh, for their interest rates. And so a lot of money gets parked into real estate. In fact, you, a lot of money gets parked into Malpi farms, the, the empty shells. People don't even care to finish them or rent them out. They just park their money in these uh, apartment buildings. So very different. Are you bringing investors over from China into your, your company now? That's what I would like to be doing. I'm in talks with Juwai, which is a company that lists American properties in China. The only thing is this. Milwaukee is not on the mind of most Chinese real estate investors, which is a big problem for a guy who sells in Milwaukee. So when I was on college campuses talking to guys, I would tell them, yeah, I'm from Wisconsin. And they would kind of do the nod and smile, like, I have no idea what. Um, and then I would say, waste the kangxin? And they would say, I, I have no idea what you just said. And then I would say, Milwaukee Bucks. And then I would get some nods. And then I would say, Harley Davidson, motor Do you know what that means? Harley Davidson water trip? Motor is motorcycle. Oh, okay. Those are the two things that Milwaukee is known for in China. So the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, motorcycles. So that would get some heads nodding. So as far as real estate goes, though, Milwaukee is not seen as a is a popular place to invest. I think a lot of Chinese investors are looking towards um, your more famous blue chip kind of uh, places like San Francisco, L.A., Chicago, New York, places like that. Vancouver. All right, Mark, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure am. First, a quick word from our best ever sponsors crowdfunding. You've heard about it and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's p-a-t-c-h-o-f-l-e-n-d.com forward slash best ever. Do you want to build monthly real estate cash flow without the typical headaches? Discover my grain-free real estate investing today at thelandgeek.com forward slash best. No renters or tenants, no rodents or termites, no renovations or toilet repairs. Start learning at thelandgeek.com forward slash best. Best ever book you've read? I would say the Psalms. It's in the Bible. It's written by King David. He's a guy who is amazingly successful and had a lot of failures. 
and through the Psalms, he was very open about his emotions and his experiences and his relationship with God. And I just think that's been awesome. I've been really identifying with that lately. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it? Well, leaving China was hard. Um, I had to leave my identity there and start over again. And so I'm really learning that my identity is involved in a relationship with, uh, with God. Best ever success habit you practice? It sounds like we already talked about it a little bit. Yep, yep. 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Trying really, really hard to not think about real estate for an hour. <laughs> but it, it's been great. When, when I do that successfully, it, it just makes my day. Honestly, how many days are you waking up at 5 a.m. and doing that? Usually seven days a week, but occasionally if I'm out, like so tonight we have the Madison uh, Real Estate Investing Association and people stay out late and drink at uh, the Great Dane pub. So it might be a little bit later tomorrow morning. Best ever deal you've done? 65K for a duplex that rents for 1600 a month. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Well, I think the whole thing is uh, just in general, just real estate deals. I For some reason, it just really grabs me putting together people with cash flow. I, I love putting all the pieces together, the finding the financing, finding the right people and finding the right house. I, for some reason, it just seeing that all come together and, and work is really exciting to me. Best ever way you like to give back? I love teaching. I don't know much about real estate investing yet, so I'm learning. But I spent the last 14 years teaching and I really, really enjoy it. Best ever quote? Well, you had a guy on a couple of weeks ago, David Reese, and he shared a pretty awesome quote. So that was the man in the arena quote. Remember that with the dust? Yeah, I do. The sweat. So I'm going to go with Rocky. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? I would say not trusting my wife's intuition. Right after we sold our house in China in 2009, I invested in an English school in Beijing. And my wife really didn't like this guy. He was an American guy starting an English program. And I was, I was seeing stars. I was so excited to work with this guy. And she didn't like him. And uh, I really regret it because it, we lost a lot of money on that deal. What's the best ever place to reach you? Email is the easiest at mark at midwestequitypartner.com. That's a singular. There's no S at the end. Uh, or my phone, 608-472-3200. Well, Mark, this has been fascinating. I have learned a whole lot, and I'm sure the best ever listeners have learned a whole lot. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and myself and talking about your experiences investing overseas, talking about the difference between here and China, talking about two completely different markets, one where in China you're renting a million dollar property for $1,100 and you talk a little bit into reasons why that is the case. And then the complete opposite in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and the Midwest where you're, you've are you got a, uh, you know, a, a good looking duplex, $65,000 written for $1,600. Just contrasting styles there. And also I like how you, you were mentioning have an identity outside of real estate and for me, real estate really is a, a mechanism that helps me get to where I want to go. I'm with, I, I'm not all about real estate. I love aspects of real estate. One of them is just the, the people and the relationships that result from it. And then the other is the challenge and the creativity. So I constantly practice or try to practice that advice because I think it's important to have balance in life and not get too wrapped up in what we're doing and have that perspective. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I think that's, that's an important thing to continue to focus on 
sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, hopefully. And then investor relations. I mean, any best ever listener looking to raise money and go into business for him or herself, they're going to need to be experts in investor relations because the referrals that you get from your business are likely going to come from the very first investors that you have in your deal. And it's going to be a spiderweb effect. I've talked to many successful syndicators out there who have been in the business for many years, more years than I've been alive. And they say more than 50% of their business over the course of you know decades came from the first deal that they did and just the referrals that, that resulted from it. So investor relations is important. One of the takeaways that you mentioned there that everybody can can uh, practice and should practice is if you don't know the answer, don't make it up. People respect you for being able to say, you know what, that's a good question. I think it's this. Let me follow up with you and I'll get back to you. And I'd say half of the people actually follow up with the actual answer which is shocking, but I guarantee you that's true for whatever reason. People don't follow up when they should. So really it's acknowledging that you'll get the answer and then following up. Very simple stuff. It's not rocket science, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen across the board with everybody. Um, So that's what we are on the show for, to give best ever advice and give practical tips to help make things happen. So Mark, with that being said, is there anything else you wanted to mention to the best ever listeners before we sign off? Thank you, best ever advice. That's how you say, listeners. You're amazing. I did not expect this little wrinkle to the show, and I, I freaking love it. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. I freaking love being on your show, Joe. Have a great day. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever. 